The Game Schooler Podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, is a weekly audio show that educates new and experienced gamers about the joys of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover Museum Suspects, our game of the week, discuss what's wrong with family games in the school of gaming, and wrap it up with our high five games that fell through the cracks. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co-host, Dr. Michael McCabe. How's it going, Michael? What's going on, Doug? Great to be here, man. How are you? I am pretty good. I've been good. staying home. You've been out and about. We're moving yeah. up our... Well, full disclosure, let's get this out of the way. We're recording early this week, so we're going to push our contest back uh, one week. So we're going to be giving away a copy of Fire Tower to one of our Discord server users. Uh, we were going to pull that name on the 29th of June... Now we are going to be pulling that on the 6th of July. So you got an extra week to get in there and uh, sign up for the Discord to register to win a copy of Fire Tower. So let's get that out of the way. Yeah. Anything else we need to follow well, up on? Well, I, I just want to take umbrage with one thing. Th oh. They're not users. They're our friends. <laughs> Don't you feel like the people on Discord are, are like, oh, what are my friends doing today? Yeah, what, they're all coming to the family picnic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, no, and I appreciate your flexibility on that, Doug. I have been doing a lot of traveling for work, and now we're going to be doing traveling for family and um, just kind of shuffling some things around, and this will give folks an extra week to get their hands on a great game that I know both of us have really enjoyed. Well, and get you more time to sign up for the Discord server, which is just an awesome platform where people are, folks are talking about you know, family games, gamer games, what they're excited about gaming, what they've been playing. We've got some of our uh, game schooling stuff on there. So it's just a really great resource and really been uh, happy since, you know, that has sprung yeah. up and, and really an active place for our community to interact with one another. Selfishly, it's also helped my wallet. Uh, I'm able to bounce <laughs> ideas off of folks. You know, it's not just you and I talking about games or I'm, I'm, I'm not lurking on other board game geek forums. I can get an actual opinion from somebody who, who says like, oh, yeah, it's, this it's is not what just, I liked about the game. It's not this just me one. constantly telling you, no, Michael, stay <laughs> no, away. Stay no, away. We'll, we'll get into that more in the school of gaming, but it's been great. All right. Well, what's awesome in gaming for you? Oh, I just had, had one thing to follow oh. up on, and it could kind of slide into what's awesome gaming but uh i'll be the judge of that all right last week ish uh, my kiddo needed an outfit for a concert right and it's one of those things like oh where are we going and this child also loves to thrift store so we're bouncing around and and we we wind up in a goodwill and it sounds doug, like what's awesome in gaming doug lo and behold for 2.99 what did i find at can goodwill? i guess can i make guesses yes taboo well there were 37 copies in our local Mad, Goodwill. Mad Gab. Mad in 2004? Excuse me, what did you say? Mad Gab. I, I never heard of that one. Don't recall. Okay. Um, any themed version of Monopoly. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to jump ahead. But it was a game that you talked about in Party Games for Gamers. Okay. For $2.99, I walked home with the Kickstarter version of Ooh. Monikers. Kickstarter. <laughs> it was like, I didn't talk about that. I thought you did. No, well, oh, I'm making it up. Okay. Well, somebody did. <laughs> That came in. I think you did. I'll have to go I've back and listen it. to that now. 
Okay. Well, so I can't recommend it if I haven't played no, it. No, but it's cool, you know, and, and um, in Discord, folks have talked about that, about their uh, experiences at Goodwill with getting a gem. Uh, yeah. And, and that was nice to walk out of there for $2.99 with the game, be able to go home. Now, it's not the most family-friendly game, so we didn't just uh, open up the box and start playing on a Sunday evening after yeah. dinner, but it does look like a game that we're going to That gonna sounds get like some... what's awesome in gaming. Yeah, that's, as a, that's a segue to, into As it. to me finding Harry Potter Trivial Pursuit <laughs> um, in abundance. The DVD, but, the yeah, DVD yeah, version. <laughs> yeah, or uh, Twilight. Twilight uh, Trivial Pursuit or Twilight Seen It. Not, not Twilight Imperium. You're talking about the young adult lit novel from 2004-ish, <laughs> yeah, yes, right? Yes, okay. yes, the vampire novel. Um, well, that's what a segue, Michael. The uh, Here's something that, that happened just last night that I, I've talked about this before, but it always just like warms my heart is kids playing with grandparents. Yeah. So we went over to my my folks' house last night and got a game of Mexican train rolling. Oh, yeah. And it's a lightweight game that my parents like playing, and, you know, the rules are right up their alley. Dominoes, folks. We're talking dominoes. Yep. And, you know, we played with the the youngest one, who's five, lasted two rounds before she leapt over to Coco Melon. (laughs) <laughs> and the the older ones played. We got about six rounds in, and it was so great because there are elements of take that yeah. in that game, and you know they're getting mad at grandma and grandpa, which like, is always fun. Why'd you do that, grandpa? You totally screwed me up. And grandpa laughing about it, and everybody like nobody took it too seriously, yeah. and it was just awesome to get. I think that's something that when you go to board game geek is really lost the idea of intergenerational gaming. It's almost like I've got my little group and that's my four-player group and we get together and we play all these games. But when you can get seven and eight-year-olds all yep. the way up to 70-year-olds and in between and everybody's playing and having fun is a really unique and cool thing about this hobby that I don't think it's talked about enough. Like I can't go out and play basketball with that age group well, you, well. you could, uh, <laughs> it, it, theoretically. Without possible. me jamming on everybody, yeah. obviously. Now, do you have any house rules? Are there any Koteki classics? Do you have to pay to ride the community train? Uh, do you have? <laughs> is there a, a special pot that you have to pay into if somebody busts up the double? I mean, no. do you, and, and, or is it just straight rules? And, it is not. It yeah. is some hybrid of. My parents like to play it this way that I think elongates the game. That oh, this is going to be good. That I, I think, according to the rules, this is something I, people are just going to flame us up about. Of like, you're wrong. But I think, according to the rules, you play all of your dominoes out right away. The rules that in my copy are very poorly written, but that you lay everything on your own train right away, and then you get into where you can play on the Mexican train and go around, and people are getting to a point where they have to draw tiles faster. My parents don't like playing that way. I can see why you would want to play that way because it would speed up the game. Um, but my parents like the plotting and like, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to throw down the double that I can't break and throw the whole table yeah. into the wild. So I think it is a game that is at this point almost exclusively house ruled for 
the, that sounds like the house rules have some house rules. Everybody's got, yeah. yeah that, I think, which is great, right? I think like the, the version that my parents have that I have read the rules, it's like, I don't know if this was translated from a different language, but it's very hard to figure out like- <laughs> From Transylvanian to English? What what it is. My parents are all excited because they got new tiles at Domino's with the numbers on them instead of dots. Oh, I love the pips. So me too. I'm a sucker for it. But my parents have a hard time- Distinguishing shapes, I guess. We'll have to play sometime. <laughs> and Emmy plays by the rules. So that that will be interesting, too. Um, my wife, uh, we've played a lot of dominoes, a lot of Mexican train in our house. Um, and two of our kids like it. Our, our youngest, who's seven, may like it someday, but right now is not playing dominoes. Going to walk away from the table if that's what we're doing. But it's, it's a great game to just play and pass the day. Yeah, I think it's one of those that every house, like you have to go and play at the rules of the house of the person that is providing the game. Probably. Right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. you can't avoid. go into somebody else's house and say, no, no, your, your train is up. Your, yeah. your train is up. You need I, to do this. I, I'm good, and I'll play on that line. Yeah, you, no, that's good. That's great. So very much reminds me <clears> of a, like a rummy-style card game of yep. tra- you know trying to shed and yep. – um, oh, I was so close to going out, that type of thing. So it, it was fun, and, and to get – it's something that as – my nieces and nephews and my kids have grown up. It's something that my parents have played with all of the diff- the families right. at different points. So it was kind of cool to experience that with with my kids. Final dominoes related question because here we're on episode one twenty five and we're finally discussing dominoes. Um, do your dominoes live in a tin or do you have like a nice? wooden box that's in a case. I know your father is a very, very uh, handy person. It lives in the classic Cardinal Mexican train tin. Yes, yes. Which is, I think, the version I have, but I... I want Game Right to make a domino I tin. would be hard-pressed to actually locate that right now. Uh, yeah. I don't know where my version is. Okay, okay, interesting. But at one point, I did get my parents for Christmas fancy little golden glitter trains. Nice. So they got, that's blinged out anyway. Yeah. So how about Dude. you? What else is awesome? Well, what's awesome gaming uh, for me, I have started reviewing a set of three games. So stay tuned because next week I will tell our listeners about at least one of them. Our friends over at All Play sent us three different games, and I know for sure one is going to fit with our audience, and I plan on talking about it next week. I'm taking it with me on the road, so I want a little bit of practice at teaching it, playing it with my nieces and nephews, going to force some reviews on children, which is always a great way to get people in the hobby, right? Mm -hmm. You will sit down, you will play this game, you will tell me what you think about it, you will create content for my podcast for next Thursday night. We will play it to completion. uh, Yes, yes. No, you can't walk away from the table. No, I don't care if the ice cream truck's going on outside. Um, So we've, we've been doing some of that, and I initially wanted to get one to two to three reviews out and talk about right away, but just been playing and, and kind of exploring the game. You know what I mean? Not not forming an opinion like we would on, on game night or is this a game of the week or where does this fit or how does it fit, but really leaning into what works and what may not work about. Almost being a little bit more critical, I think, than mm. I typically would be. So that's been fun and... um you know, I, I was gone last week for work, and 
one of those games got played quite a bit while I was gone. So I thought that was interesting too. So looking forward to talking more about that next week for sure, but maybe in the next few weeks. All right. Well, before we move on to the next segment, I want to remind everybody to sign up for the Discord server, gameschooler.com slash Discord. Uh, if you like what we're doing, make sure you spread the word. That's how people find out about what we're doing. And if you have any questions or comments, uh, feel free to email us at gameschooler.com, email at gameschooler.com, or you can head over to the website, gameschooler.com, and there is a handy contact form there. <laughs> Michael's grimacing. Are we ready to move on? <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the game of the week. The game of the week. The game of the week is an in-depth look at a family-friendly game we think you should try if you get the chance. This week's game is Museum Suspects. Doug, give us the stats. Well, it's an odd-numbered episode, so we have a game by Phil Walker Harding. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Published in 2022 by Blue Orange Games. Again, designed by Phil Walker Harding, and the art is by Maxim Sartau. Two to four players, 20 to 25 minutes, uh, ages 8 plus. Board Game Geek says 8 to 12 weird that they're putting a cap on it. I yeah. don't feel like there should be a cap there. But for a complexity, according to those users, a 1.55 out of 5, which is pretty accurate, I think, in this case. And it is a 2022 Mensa recommended game. Sound the alarm and close the doors quick. One of the museum artifacts has been stolen. The director is relying on you to unmask the thief or thieves hidden among the 16 suspects. Woo! Still in the building. Each turn, select a clue and then put a price on it. Keep track of your investigation in your notebook and suggest a suspect. Using your bluffing skills to throw off your opponents. After six turns, all clues are revealed and the player who bet the most on the real thief wins the game. So in this game, there is a grid of 16 suspects out of a possible 24. So you're not even using every suspect every round. And then you're going to take, there's 32 clue cards, and there are eight different types, so there's four clue cards for each type, and you're going to select one of those randomly. So you'll have one clue card for the eight different types of clues spread around the board. On your turn. Uh, To set up. Yeah. And then on your turn, you're going to pick one of the clue cards on the outside of the the game board or the, the suspect pool. And look at it. If there's no coin on it with a number on it, you can just look at it for free. And at the end of your turn, you're going to put a token on it, a coin on it with a number. From that point on, if anyone wants to look at that clue, they either need to put a coin of the same value or higher on top of it to look at that clue. Then after you've looked at a clue, you can mark it off in your little book. It's kind of like old school clue where you got a little score sheet. And all of the clues are eliminating suspects. So it'll say nobody in this row is a suspect. Nobody with a uh, baseball hat is a suspect. If they're wearing a red shirt, they're not a suspect. If they have a beak. And so you're going to do that and then cross it off. And then after you've put the clue back, you're going to take another one of your coins. So you start with 12 coins, all with varying values. Um, and you're going to put it on one of the suspects face down. So people know that you put a coin on that that suspect, but not 
what value of it or what you really think of it. There's also a tile for an exit. So it is possible based on the randomization of the clues that there could be no suspects or there could be multiple. There could be two or three suspects and all of those would score points at the end of the game. You keep going around until there are six rounds. Everybody's placed all of their coins out either on clues or on suspects. And then you flip over the clues and eliminate all of the suspects until there's one multiple or none left. Yep. And whoever has put coins and bid on that suspect, whoever put the most on there is the winner. That's how the game plays. It adds a, an interesting bluffing element to it of you can look at a clue and then put a very high number down on there, which is going to make it difficult for people to look at that clue right. in the, you know, going on. You might put a coin out on a suspect that you know for sure is not the suspect in order to kind of draw people off and say, oh, well, maybe his information is different than mine. So there's some bluffing elements into Bidding it. Bidding for clues is open information. Everybody sees the numbers. When you make a prediction on the suspect, that information is hidden. So what Doug's talking about, if I put a six-point token, the highest number token down on a clue, the only way anybody else can see that clue is by putting a six down. And yeah. that that eliminates a six-point in a game where – the uh, six could be the winning score. Winning yeah. score. Um, then you can't put that down face down on a suspect, and and that little decision point that that's a lot for adults to, yeah. to have fun in a game that you can play with children. Well, and you can you can even throw a six down there on a garbage clue that then people are chasing after because they're like, well, he put a six on it, so it must be a really good one. Then all yeah. of a sudden, people are throwing out sixes that they're not going to be able to score. So there's there's a cool underpinning of this one that I really enjoy that makes it accessible for younger gamers and families, but does have a level of depth and bluffing that's not it's not mean, nobody's getting caught off guard or anything that like that that can come up with bluffing sometimes. Um, not that bluffing has to take that element, but I have played bluffing games where it's like, aha, you get nothing. Yeah. Joke's on you, Doug. Yeah, there's nothing in there no. like that, which I think is is cool. I love the layer on top of deduction. I am a guy that really likes yeah. deduction games, but I have a hard time getting them to the table because people either like them or they don't. And I think this one adds, because it adds that bidding and bluffing, makes it approachable. And the the way that I, I kind of classify it is it's a good deduction game for folks who don't care for deduction because it's not necessarily about I'm the smartest. Yeah, you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes. You know, there are those deduction games where it's like, well, you are going to win because you can store more mental information in your head at a, <laughs> at yeah. a given time. And I don't have that memory. Because in every game, there's going to be two clues that you don't see. So although there, this is a game with deduction, and that's the, I mean, I have decision-making and deduction as the top two skills uh, that can really develop and, and be impacted over repeated plays with the game, there's still a little bit of chance because two of the clues I'm not going to get to see. Yeah. And there's also not just one suspect. There could be two suspects. There could be one suspect who did it, or they might have left. And, yeah. and so you have that empty space at the bottom of the suspect pool where you can put hidden bids down 
um, if you don't believe that the suspect is is there in front of you. So there, there's a lot going on. Yeah, I mean, I like the the artwork and the the clues. Like everything about this works really well. It seems in the a very similar vein of, of Dinosaur Tea Party. Yep. Kind of, it's light. It's got animals. It's jovial. The artwork is colorful. Uh, for for can, can I co- go on that a little yeah, bit? Because that's mean, where I was going to go. I, Dinosaur Tea Party was a game of the week back in episode seventy one, and in Board Game Club, that game took over and to the point where people are screaming running out in the hall it's very zany it's very wild there's a three player minimum the the game can go sometimes a little bit long especially if people are i don't want to say making fun of each other but if they're making fun of each other and what museum suspects does it takes a game that can be played with just two players and it's a little bit more chill. It's a little bit more relaxed. But I get all of those same vibes and same feelings. And you got a hold of this game very early when it came out. And it, it's one of the few games in the last year that we played in a game night. When I got home that night, I ordered it because mm-hmm. I, I just could see this is going to fit with the middle school board game club for all of those reasons that I just described. The other thing, you can get it up and running in five minutes. You yeah. can play a full game in 15 to 20 minutes with two or three people. We just played a four-player game before the podcast. What was it, 20 minutes, four-player yeah, game? If, if that. Yeah. With, with somebody who was learning it for the first time. So there is... And a, and and uh, distracted players. Oh, right? yeah. You, you know, we're, we yeah, were not, yeah. we're not you, playing you with... You had a dose of that. My, my daughter <laughs> was... Yeah, she... But I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. so it's like we're getting it in with people that are... That was a legit school setting right there. Yeah, yeah. just like... Yeah. Ah, Oh, it's my turn. Yeah, like that type of thing where uh, that the time is still kept short with that is pretty remarkable. Yeah. As a color deficient player, do you are there any issues with this the, one? There are, but it, it's same with Dinosaur Tea Party. I feel like the development, the design, it just it's an extra half second of labor. But Doug, this is a 1.55. This is not a 3.55. That extra yeah. half second of labor to sort out the pattern, is that the reptile or is that the background? It's not like I'm figuring out four different layers of a bonus with a worker placement with yeah. a, a, a money penalty that the table's <laughs> going to get upset with me about, right? Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? The yep. table can take an extra half. So I don't think it impacts anyone else at the table, and it doesn't really impact me either. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I mean, I didn't. I didn't notice you struggling or anything like that. So I hit it well. No, oh, there you go. <laughs> sweat. There's sweat dripping off his brow. I don't want to lose this one. Uh, one of the things I don't. We don't often talk about, but this one is the price point on this game is amazing. Yes, it's under twenty dollars. Um, on the high end, it's twenty bucks, and it's such, like I'm always amazed when I pick it up off the shelf, how small the box is. Very compact. It yep. fits in in a in a small box. It's probably six by six square, maybe an inch and a half deep. So super tiny for the amount of gameplay experience that I get from the game. So in my brain, whenever I go looking for it, I'm assuming it has to be in a bigger box because it has oh, such yeah. a big gameplay experience in it. That then when I find the box, I'm like, oh, this is tiny. Like, how do they fit all that game into one box? Right. Um, as opposed to some of the games that I have that are gigantic, and you're like, manual one, manual two, 
mini tray, mini tray this. Mini, you're like, okay, that's a huge box. But this one, there's so much game in such a tiny box that I'm always like, this is barely a step above a card game With box. pencils, you yeah. know, right there, ready to go. They're nice and sharp. And I, I hesitate to say this, but our our high five today is on games that slip through the cracks. And I know the game in the U.S. has only been out for, what, like six months? Right? Sounds but, about right. But my only concern with the game is that it might not be getting the attention, and it could be sliding you know, through the gamosphere rather quickly because when I look at some of the stats on BoardGameGeek, it's 5,888 overall. It's 1,558 in the family games. And then I clicked down on the complexity rating. Only 11 people, I'm one of them, have rated the complexity. So I do think it's one that it, it it's kind of slid under the radar a yeah. little bit. And yeah. if you see it, um, and if you think that this is something that if you've had a great experience with Dinosaur Tea Party or Phil Walker Harding games, I would just encourage folks to give Museum Suspects a try. It, it's been really good for my family. It's been really good in school setting. Yeah, the only thing I have on, on the idea of something to kind of be aware of is I can imagine some gamers not liking this game because of a lack of perfect information. Michael said that you're not going to see every clue. So it is possibly impossible. I mean, you may find out that everybody is eliminated in those eight clues and great. And you may may have all the information you need in eight clues, but there's a very good chance that you're not going to have all yep. of the information. In, in and your if, six available clues, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. six yeah. out of the eight available clues. You're only going to see the six. So I and to me, that's one of those things where it's like, if you're going into the game that way, you're going into it with the wrong approach. Right. In the same way that we talk about, like if you're going in and playing dominoes, and cutthroat, like, I am really going to dominate this. Like, yeah, there's so much luck in there that you're playing the wrong, you're going into it with the wrong approach, right? Am I? I agree with you. I think there are people who play dominoes very seriously who would disagree with you. Correct. You're, Correct. You're, so, therefore, I am agreeing with you. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, sane people. Doug's logic is sound. Um, but so, you you know, like that's one of those things. You're just going in with the wrong mindset if you yeah. think you're sitting down for a brain-burning deduction game. It is not that, so don't expect it to be that. It is a fun game, and it's that element of not complete information yep. is what makes it approachable for the whole family. Well, and so I, be aware of that. I, I'm anticipating people are going to play this game with kids. I'm not anticipating people are going to play this um, and you certainly could play it as couples or have it as a, a, a quick game to either start or end a game night. But the one thing that I wanted to share with our listeners, if you're getting ready to teach this, it is worth actually showing people the how what happens when a clue comes up. Because those four clues on, on both sides of the suspect pool, and it just happened in the game, but again, it's happened twice now that I've played with my daughter, but it also happened in the school setting where somebody got a clue and they didn't know what to do with it. And mm -hmm. just saying that, no, when you reveal a clue, you can now cross off that clue on your suspect list and that eliminates these three different suspects because they are all wearing the headphones. And if you just walk people through that one time, um, that will alleviate about a third of the first round. Oh yeah. Oh, I get it now. So yeah, 
um, the, it's not that it's tricky. It's just that it's different because you are crossing stuff off and yeah. you are writing in a pad. What's interesting about this one, as much as I say that's not for a, a super serious gamers be warned type of thing, this is a game that the more I've played it, the more I'm intrigued of playing it with gamers yep. because of the underpinnings underneath of like, oh, if I bluff this way. It's like when you're playing with kids, it's kind of straightforward in the first couple of times you're playing it. But it isn't until after you play it a couple of times that you kind of see some of the depth of like, I could really screw people up if I do this. Yeah. Or what am I going to make people think if I do that? And there were even times in the later stages of the game that we just played where I put a clue down and my daughter's like, what does that mean? What does he know? How does he know that? <laughs> does, is, you know, and it's like, just seeing that, I know that there's something underneath where it's like, if I was really taking the time and playing with gamers, I could really throw yeah. things out there, which would make it a completely different experience and, and kind of a cool one as well. Yeah, that's a good point. And that, that other skill, it's observation, yeah. right? Yep. I mean, in this game, you are constantly looking at and, and what you talked about with bluffing and, and, and observing, is my bluff being effective? Are people then you know, going to put down a higher token because of what I just did with that clue? And this is a game I love to play in different settings. You know, I, yeah. I, I've played this game at game night with you and with our friend Dan. I've played this game, you know, it, it, with my family with in a board game club. And I, I just think based on what we've talked about, too, with how easy it is to just put it in a backpack or take it with you, um, it's one that I'll continue to bring with me to random places. Well, and talk about, like, small joys is in, that pop up in this game is when you look at a clue and you know something is there. So, exa for example, I may know that the entire top row is gone like which i didn't doug rubbed in at the very end but, like, but oh you didn't you didn't put any no, down on michelle no i put it in no, on the other but, I put it but then again. when you see somebody then put a, a, a t bid on one of those that's in the top row and you're like mm -hmm. <laughs> they don't Sucker. know that yeah yeah that's a wasted <laughs> one and it's like there's a that's a little joy that happens in this game i think it's and all not too many other phil walker harding games right yeah yeah, yeah. you're right there I, the other skill I have is processing information, uh, which players must examine and analyze information. You're always doing that. Why did they put that there? And even just the process, I think, of um, for younger gamers, the idea of taking that clue and then synthesizing it onto their score tracker of like, okay, these people are not there. That little bookkeeping and processing what that clue means. And it, oh, the person's not, you know, has a cam doesn't have a camera. And you're like, yeah, oh, that one has a camera, that one. So you're building that up. And I think those are good observational and processing information skills that, that come out and just functionally just by playing the game yeah um is, is pretty cool my, my ability to identify headphones improved after playing it oh, no did it? But, yeah yeah look for beats <laughs> what uh uh where do you think this one fits best i i i mean we, we've talked a lot about it but i think it does fit best playing with kids uh whatever setting that is just the level of joy and the fun um it, it i will play this two-player with my wife so i'm not saying that it it doesn't fit if you don't have kids or if you don't play board games with kids. 
the other thing, though, I, I want to push back a little bit on. I, I think eight is a little young on this one, Doug. And I, mm. um, so yeah, you're probably Eliza right. Eliza yeah. is seven, right? And I have not had good luck with my seven year old with this one. And she has played Dinosaur Tea Party mm-hmm. and gotten along okay. But there's enough of an independence uh, with Museum Suspects that I put it in as 10. Uh, on board Game Geek when I filled out the poll. So just want our listeners to be aware of that. I think it could fit in some, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade classrooms. Uh, but I, I really do think it's more of that, you know, 10 to 10 plus, 10 to 12, boy, you're going to have a lot more fun than if you're trying to push this well, and at a seven or eight year old audience. I think just what you said, that independent part is the idea of like that skill of just being able to look at the clue and transfer it to your car seems very simple to adults. But it's an extra step, right? But it's a step for the younger players that they have to navigate by themselves. Um, Certainly one, if you're going to play with uh, uh, kids of that age, you should not be in the game. Or we partner up. Yeah, so when we yeah. play, we're, we're on yeah. the same team. She, so we're so crossing somebody, off. you have to either have a facilitator that's helping yeah. every kid or, um, like you said, partner up and yeah. kind of separate yourself. It's, it's not one that you're going to dive in with three eight-year-olds and then say, all right, let's go. Yeah. And don't show me your clues because then you're going to ruin the game for everybody. But on the, on the same note, I could not disagree more strongly. It, it does not cap at 12. No. And, and I mean, we're, we're two guys in our 40s who would <laughs> play this game again after we get done recording, play it again next week. Where do yeah. you think it fits best? I think it's the same. I think I, I definitely think it's uh, in the family realm, and I think it's one that gamers... I think this one should be very appealing to gamers, but gamers will overlook it because of the family connotation, the artwork, and it's, oh, that's too simple for for me as a 1.55 complexity. But I think that there, if you could get more gamers to play this, it would have, like, if you slap a different theme on this, yeah, or, you know, more of a, a grown-up type of thing or artwork, you know, the, the Vampires artwork. or orcs or where are you going to go if you're going to no, read no, the I'm, Museum no, Suspects? No, I just mean, like, you could have it as Museum Suspects, but that the artwork is... Yeah, you know, criminals and not animals, not cartoony, more realistic, and you had that and put it in that setting, a kind of a darker setting, then I think you'd have gamers being like, "Well, this is the new," and and gla- clamoring yeah. for it, right? But, but that's not the designer's goal, right? And that's no. where this fits in so well. What is this? Our ninth Phil Walker Harding game that we've I, reviewed. I just think it's a yeah, shame. Yeah, no, I'm with yeah. you. I'm with, and I'm not trying to come at you. I'm just. I, I, what I love about it is the consistency. You know, you started off the show talking about intergenerational gaming, right? Playing dominoes with your parents. And Museum Suspects is one of those games that fits right into that, where where a 10-year-old can say, hey, hey, grandma, hey, grandpa, let's sit down. I want to show you this game and get it set up. And five minutes later, you know, you're playing. And it's what I love about his games. Yeah. Uh, I, I rated this an eight, which is pretty high on Board Game Geek, but I, I rated it an eight because when I when when I do that, that's a note to myself. Don't forget about this game. Play yeah. this game again in 2024. Yeah. Come back to this game in 2025. Make sure that I'm continuing to play this game because there's, there's a fun factor to it. For me, it might not be for everybody, but for me yeah. and the people that I play games with, we have fun playing Museum yeah. Suspects. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's, for me, it's just funny that I can imagine this with a different theme and gamers going nuts about it. 
and not shutting up about it because but because of the theme or the presentation it's dismissed as not for me yeah right like if you yeah. i can imagine this just being climbing up the hotness on board game Geek. you're jumping into our school of gaming yeah, yeah maybe all right anything else on uh on uh, Museum Suspects before we move on. The only thing, dear listeners, we don't have any Phil Walker Harding till at least 131. So, <laughs> so, so we hope you got your Phil. Oh, yeah, another, another <laughs> odd episode. Phil. Yeah. All right, so that is the uh, Game of the Week, Museum Suspects. Give it a try if you get the chance. Uh, Michael and I both enjoy it a lot. So let's move on to the School of Gaming. The School of Gaming. In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming. This week, we'll be discussing what's wrong with family games. Yeah, what's wrong with them? I got I got bone to pick. There are a yeah. lot of things wrong with family games. Actually, there's not. I, this cop topic is the idea of when did family game become a disclaimer? Yeah, like the parental advisory sticker. Yeah, as a qualifier of, even though you've just listened to my entire review of this game, and it sounds interesting, and you're interested in the the way that it plays, and then at the end, I have to make sure that I say, it's a great family game, just so you know what you're getting into, that it's not going to be too heavy. It's like, who cares? Well, and- Like, if the game is good, it's good, right? It's in, yes, it is. Keep going. No, that's go ahead. It's impacted the entire way that games are critiqued, reviewed, and explained. If you just look at our last segment, I mean, we we basically went on a two or three minute uh, diatribe of here are some caveats. It is a family game, so just so you're aware, if you bring this out with a group of gamer gamers, they might not, and that's that that is an issue. There, yeah. There's a whole group of games that are being overlooked because they're quote-unquote family games oftentimes. Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't know. It just seems whenever we hear gamers, game reviewers talking about a game, family game is thrown out as kind of a negative or something that you should be aware of. It's almost like you can play this game, but there's adult themes and contents. Like it's that type of a thing. It's like beware that this game might be lighter and more fun than your crazy complicated game. Yes. Like you can't be serious with this game. And I think about all the games that kind of walk that line that just depending on how somebody thought about them or made the 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 decision on artwork or something. Right. So for example, Splendor or um Century Spice Road could have been themed with flashier um, cartoony artwork, still been the exact same game put out by Blue Orange Game Games, and gamers would not talk about it as like, oh, you've got to play this game. But they didn't have that theme, and so everybody loves them. But there's nothing more complicated in Century Spice Road than any of the other family games that we're talking about, right? Like from a difficulty level or what's a gamer game or a family game, those two games are pretty simplistic that you could see them in either camp just based on the artwork that they're 
Yeah, so right? you're blowing my mind a little bit right now, Doug. I was up all night cooking a brisket for colleagues, you know, so I'm going on two hours of sleep. I got a nice little two-hour nap before the podcast, so I didn't know you were going there. I'm trying to, to stay with you. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I think the, uh, the I'm going to let you come back to that because I got lost in there a little bit. I was really on that century, and if century were with Splendor and how Blue Orange picked it up and, and made a great family game out of it. Here's the thing that I think we picked up on and have talked a lot about online over the last month. We listen to a lot of game reviews. We we try to you know distill what's going on out there so that we know what to talk about and bring onto this show what fits for yeah. our audience. And in doing that, there are a lot of big time reviewers who make that. Well, just so you know, this this is a lighter game. This is. A family game. Yeah. And why is that a bad thing? Well, does it, do you think it keeps cropping up? I, I feel like I, I see it more with the discussion of, like, depth, is that this game is a family game, so it's not as deep or complex as some of the other ones or other games that are, are getting buzz or hotness. And I'm, I'm sure I'm an anomaly, but the people that I'm gaming with, we are not consuming the depth or scratching the surface of even the family games that we play, the amount of depth that are in games. Like yeah. how much depth or perceived replayability do you need? Where it's like sometimes I think people are like, it's a family game. You'll play it once and never want to go back to it. And it's like, that's not the case either. But yeah. it seems like it's a substitute to just say, you're only going to play this once. And it's like, but who's playing it 40 times to the point where it's like, I've had enough of this. Yeah. Well, and our listeners know we play a lot of games a few times, right? And that the connotation of this game is limited because it's a family game. Yeah. That's what I, I don't want to take offenses way too strong. It's but le- that, like it's less than. Yeah. That's, it that, doesn't have as much game in there, the box. there are games that we have reviewed that have been games of the week, and other people will then just make a very, well, this game is like this, or this game is like that. And it's like, no, 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 that's way too simplistic. Um, so. Well, it's, a, it, it's this may be, a, what I'm about to say may be a completely different topic, but as I was thinking about this idea of, uh, Note this moment in time for yeah, next week. This this disclaimer of oh, it's a family game, and and the, and then people talking about well, it doesn't have the depth or it doesn't have the like, and it, it seems to be that among reviewers and the the people that we are listening to, following that type of thing, seem to trend towards the idea of focusing on what's missing instead mm, of what's, what's there. Yeah, it could have had this or it could have had that, and I'm just. And I, I don't know if it's the idea of like, oh, people need to be super critical of games to get their reviewer badge, but like, why can't we enjoy the games for what they are? Yeah. And maybe they don't need the thing that they're missing or the perceived thing that's missing. It's like, this game doesn't have enough depth. Like, we played Dominoes. There's not a lot of depth there. We played, I played What the Cup over the weekend which is a simple game that's fun. It doesn't yeah. need, like, not every game needs to have super strategy, and it's fine that some games do. And I love games with a bunch of strategy and and complex games. It's not a thing where it's like I'm anti, 
you know, get the pitchforks out for three-hour games. That's not what I'm I'm saying, and I hope that's not how our podcast is coming. You're not coming, coming across that way. Coming across that way, but it's Maybe like, a few weeks ago, but not this one. Keep why, going. <laughs> why can't we appreciate the games for what they are, the audience that they're intended for, and and, yeah. and meet them where they are instead of saying, well, it could have had a little bit more variety on this. There was a couple of... Uh, games that I, I was looking up through for my high five and going back and one of them was way older and I was going through the forums and they're like, yeah, this game would be a little bit better if it had some more characters. And it's like, how many times are you playing this game that it's getting like, there's already randomized setup. You don't need more, more, more yeah. extra, extra. Well, it could have had fancier chips. This could have been minis. That could have been this. There could have been, you know, they should have, put this module in or whatever. And it's like, is the game good how it is? So, and I want to jump in because there's a juxtaposition that has occurred and maybe it's just for the two of us. <laughs> maybe it's not for anybody else listening, but we hear reviewers and some of them are, are, you know, part of the Dice Tower Network and they're doing great stuff. They put out a ton of awesome content, Yeah, but they'll make a disclaimer about, well, this is a family game. And then... I jump into our Discord, and we have a channel there called Family Games, and that truly is a channel where I know, okay, people are playing these games in this type of setting. This is going to work for my family. Yeah. And the example of that is, you know, one of our listeners, I don't just want to call them out in here, but they're talking about the new Sushi Go game. I said, yeah. we weren't going to talk about Phil Walker hiring to 131. We'll talk about it here. But the one, you know, and took a picture of it, the Lazy Susan looking thing in the, the, the plate in the middle. And it's just like. Which I don't even think he's a designer on that. Yeah. Oh, he's not? I don't think so. The Sushi, what's it called? Uh, uh, I'll look it up. You yeah, keep talking. You, and, and so I see that on Discord. I show my wife the picture of the game. I talk about the game. And we're excited to play the game as a family. Now, Dead Reckoning is a 4X pirate adventure game, which I have backed and invested money in on Kickstarter. But I'm not able to show my wife Dead Reckoning and say, hey, someday I'm going to try to get you to play this four-hour pirate adventure that I'll probably only play by myself at the solo game table. And so it's that 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 juxtaposition of we have this family games channel on the discord that just continues to bring me joy every time i see a new post is put on there yeah and then what i'm hearing uh, <laughs> on other podcasts and what i'm seeing on different youtube reviews uh family game has almost a negative connotation sometimes at least right now in the zeitgeist and yeah. that, that's yeah. that that's just so there there's no designer listed for sushi go um, the, 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 the new target one. version? No, but I don't think I, I, I'm assuming if he was a designer, it would be on there. Um, Interesting. I think it's just based in the universe of, um, but to your point on the discord server and you have people sharing the family games that they're playing, there is this idea that I don't get, and it's, it's perceived on my end, but almost like the idea, like my daughters like to play Uno. It's like, I'm a, like, am I supposed to go over to them and slap that game out of their hand and be like, this, guys, this is not the caliber of game that we're used to playing in this house. You put that down. It's like, you play the games that your family likes and, and have fun with it. Like The greatest basketball player in the world also likes to play Uno. So well, your you kids go. and Michael Giannis. Jordan? Giannis. So. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, current basketball. Go, okay, there you go. Um, 
But like, there is that idea of like, oh, how could you possibly be playing Uno? The decisions are very minimal. Like that whole idea of like, my kids like what they like. You know, you've talked about what was the uh, Olaf's ice adventure. Olaf's, yeah, <laughs> Olaf's ice adventure. It's trouble. It's an, yeah. it's an absolutely terrible game. Salt and ice, and, and it makes a mess of the whole kitchen. Can't play it on carpet. <laughs> but yeah, they love it. You know, and so it's like you're gonna say like, no, this is we we have a f- higher class family here that that game is inappropriate. Yeah, <laughs> we don't we don't do that, and I I think that that carries over simplistic like that idea philosophy type thing is like yeah we're talking about uno it's like people some gamers are talking about that like about games like museum suspects like yeah. well that is no you need to be playing this type of game and i just don't i don't get it i don't know why why that seems to be a negative connotation yeah. now yeah, and just to clean that up, it's Sushi Go Spin Some Dim, dim Sum uh, from Game Right, and it's available at Target right now for nineteen ninety nine. So that was the game I was referring to. It has yeah. an awesome toy factor, and uh, it, it's just you have to know what you're getting into, and if you have the right mindset. I, I think that the moral of the story is is like what you like, and and that's fine, right? Don't worry about you know, is this a kid's game? Is this a family game? Is your family having fun playing that? Mm-hmm. And not necessarily looking for, what is this missing? Like, if this only had this, or this is just not the level that I need, like, enjoy the game and meet it where it's designed to be at. Don't go into it with expectations that are unwarranted, I guess. And, yeah. and like I said, enjoy what you enjoy, and th- that's fine. Like, you don't need a special card to be a gamer play the games you like. If you're anything like us, you're constantly on the hunt for new games to try out. This week, we're talking about uh, games that fell through the cracks. Um, This is, Michael and I have been talking quite a bit about, there are so many games in my collection, for one, but games that we don't- Yes, correct. End of statement. Too many. Um, that we don't get a chance to talk about. Like, yeah. what are awesome games that we don't get to talk about and they just don't seem to show up on high five lists or order or the, you know, the you know sometimes we do stuff where it's a theme of a Western game or, or whatever and it's just like, there's we're never going to have a high five list on this theme or things yep. like that. And, and I know some of these games I have talked about, but I basically went through my collection and was like, you know, this game should get talked about more and I wish, um, not necessarily that there was a re- reprint or anything like that, but just like, uh, this is one I I don't hear enough about. I wish I heard more about. I wish I played more. And like, look at it. I'm like, this is never leaving my collection. I yeah. love this game, even though it's not the hotness. It's not the, you know, the my number one game of all time. Um, so that's kind of how I approach the list. How about you? Yeah, similar. The other, I, I went back and forth, and, and I, I, I shared in the last segment, I was up all night co- cooking. Uh, so, so you had nothing better to do. I was researching. <laughs> <laughs> and so what games from 2012 to 2015 can I add to the list? And what I got to was there are so many games from 2018 to 2020, if, if they've slipped through the cracks, 
I can add them to this list so that folks know, hey, go back and look because yeah. they're still available. So uh, very similar to what you talked about. I have mentioned some of these games in other lists, but um, some of them are just so strong that I thought this could be the last time they get talked about for a year, a year and a half. So I But they've to never been on, on this list, list together. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also didn't put any recommended or games of the week on our on my list. Oh, well. I do. Oh, and for a reason, and I'll jump in there because there was a lot of them that I wanted to put on. Yeah, but I figured like we've done a whole episode on them, so we've done our part. Yeah, I get that. Michael wants to put a no, button on it. <laughs> I do because some of them are two years ago. Yeah, it's been two years, and yeah. this is one. And my daughter an hour ago said, "We haven't played this game in a while, Dad." <laughs> It is currently ranked 518 in family games and 1,911 overall. It was our episode of the week back in 31, and this is Summer Camp mm. 2021 Phil Walker-Harding Buffalo Games. Who's the designer? Uh, Phil Walker-Harding. <laughs> and this was my game of the year from 2021, and yep. that's where I feel like and I, I stand by that. This yeah. is another game that I love to play in different settings with different groups of people, in summer camp, you are going on, um, basically there's like these little trails that you're going on and collecting badges and playing cards out of your hand to advance your your characters on the various trails and you're trying to get to the end and it's one of those great little race games where you can do all things but you can't do all things at once and then you figure out you can't actually do all things. Uh, plays in about 45 minutes, very easy to teach. And when the game came out, it was like nineteen ninety nine at Target. The amount of game that is in that box, yeah. Um, so I have recommended it to others, and uh, it, it's just one that I feel like did fall through the the cracks. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a great little deck builder, uh, deck building game, and the. Um, I just wonder, like, that's one where it's like it was a Target exclusive for a while. Right. It was Buffalo Games, and it's just like one of those things where it's like talking about the the family game and the intro gamer connotation. Yeah. It's just like, well, I couldn't possibly like a $20 game from Target as, as I feel like where that fell through the cracks is like, well, we can't elevate that. Right. right? My, my older sister's a teacher, and this is a game that, you know, Maggie, when she was eight or nine, you know, taught her aunt how to play. And it's not like my sister plays a ton of games, but just opened up the box, got it out, played it. Um, and, and so it just, it's not that it just has a special spot in my heart. I think this is a great game. It slipped through the cracks. So yeah. Yep. what do you have in five? My number five is Rise of Augustus from 2013 by Huracan and the designer. There's a theme in three of my games have very famous designers that have designs that have just kind of fallen through the cracks of, don't get talked about as much as the other ones. And uh, Paolo Mori is a designer of Rise of Augustus. It did get re-themed as Via Magica, um, but didn't that kind of disappeared as well? And they that fell through the cracks even more than Rise of Augustus. Uh, yeah, right? and it was one of those twenty thirteen ish. Is that Rise of Augustus around? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was one of those where they kind of tweaked some rules, but not other ones, and almost made more of a, a mess of it. But Rise of Augustus is essentially a, a bingo type of game where you've got, you know, these uh, Roman lesions that you're putting down onto the the various cards in front of you, um, whether they're uh, objects or 
parts of Italy or things like that that you're trying to accumulate to make sets. So you're completing these cards, and, and once you're completing them, then you are bundling up together to make sets. And it's very much a gamer bingo. And I think when it first came out, everybody's like, oh, it's gamer bingo. And then it fell through the cracks, I think, because it was like, it just, it's not complex enough or yeah. it needs more elements. And it's like, no, the beauty is the simplicity of yeah. you're, you're shuffling you your these around. Card. Yeah, you're, you're doing that. And it, there is more control than traditional bingo, which is entirely random. You get to choose which ones you want to cover up to, to try and do that. And it's just, I've always had a good experience with it. And um, just a shame that, that I feel like this one just kind of forgotten and gone. Yeah. Right. Well, and with 3,500 games a year, yeah. even, even famous designers, it, it's, it is easy to do. Number, uh, my number four was another game of the week. It was back in episode 38, but it's a game that we haven't talked about a lot. And I don't hear others talking about it a lot. And that's Rec Raiders 2019. Mm. Tim W.K. Brown and Josh Capel, uh, publisher of Kids Table Board Games. And uh, it's currently ranked 2,107 overall on Board Game Geek and 550 in the can- family category. Which is shocking because, like, 2,000 is not that yeah, it, low. Like, it's pretty high. It, it is pretty high, but, I, he, but you here, don't hear anybody. And yeah. here's what struck me about looking critically at the coverage in the middle of the night, all right? Uh, as of this recording, there were only seven text reviews and 15 video reviews for this game on board game geek which i do think you know the number of reviewers and some of that we've talked about hype as a commodity um and if you compare that to another game published by kids table board games creature comforts has 115 video reviews yeah right and uh and that sits at 690 overall and 142 in the family on board game geek but rec raiders I think fell through the cracks. Can you take the description on that one? I don't want to just put you on the spot. Yeah. So in Rec Raiders, you are placing your your divers down, but there is a kind of a restriction on where you can place them to go hunting for the objects that you need. There's an element of set collection and filling up an aquarium. So you're, the theme is your divers going down and you're a- acquiring lost artifacts. You're acquiring... Uh, fish to put in your your aquarium and fill that up and so it's got a couple of different things going on yeah and with as with a lot of the kids table board games it's a game that you can play with 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 kiddos and have a fun time but it can also be a a gamer game we're gonna get after this game here and have a great time the production is outstanding on that so that's my number four yeah great game the uh my number four is one that I guess could also be put on a list of, I cannot believe this game has not been reprinted mm. and or deluxified. Um, and that is, this is the oldest game on my list from 2002. This is Days of Wonders Pirate's Cove by Paul Randalls and Daniel Stahl. I don't get, you know, it seems like every once in a while, every couple of years, there's like a, a pirate resurgence yep. of, and people are constantly trying to encapsulate that the pirating like swashbuckling and fighting and cannons and your ship and crew and all of that stuff. And sometimes they either lean too far to uh, light or way too heavy. And it's like, I don't know what it is, but Pirate's Cove seems to be a really good balance of... That's a Doug Techie sweet spot right there. Yeah, of feeling like the things I'm doing are thematic. It's not too mean. 
but mean enough to be a pirate game. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so it's like that fine line. Is like, I want to play a pirate game, but I also don't want to be like a jerk. It's not like yeah. raids where it's like, I will kill you at the end of this game because <laughs> I am so angry. It has that like, yeah, you're going to get beat up, but you're going to get to do a lot of cool stuff too. So it all balances out and it just seems to have that perfect balance that it seems like if people, like I, I can just see a, a deluxified board and dual layer board and stuff like that, that just I baffles me that that yeah. one is still has not gotten reprinted or And that, that one's hard to get. It's yeah. expensive. People, although it's on a lot of different trade lists, people don't actually want to trade it, Doug. <laughs> I've made several different offers. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to let it go. Then why do you have it on your four trade list? Can but you- like, doesn't that seem to feel like that, that would fit the sweet spot of what is what people are trying to encapsulate in a pirate game? So it, it yes. And if that game were reprinted today, I would go out and spend 50 or $60. I would give it to Days of Wonder. As it is, yeah, you know what? What's in that box? Did you say two thousand three? Yeah, two thousand two yeah. was the original with, with the nice little ships on it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I hope that gets a reprint at some. Yeah, point. Yeah, it's got a, a a blind. There's um six or seven islands, and every round, um, people are on their secret dial picking which island they want to go to. Some of them are going to help with your cannon. Some of them are going to help your ship. Some get you more crew. Things like that. And in addition to what you can do at the island, there's also treasure at each island. Yeah. And if two people decide to go to the same island, they're going to have to duke it out. And so you're going to have a battle happening. And so battles are happening constantly. There's a a neutral kind of uh, legendary pirate that's going around. And and there's one island that's completely safe. You can go there. You can drop off your your cargo and score yeah. points that way. And there's just a lot of lot of cool stuff that seems to be very piratey. Um, I think we'll talk about it in seven or eight episodes. We haven't done that game yet. Sure. We can do a full review. I know it's hard to get, but maybe we can try, try to it, get a reprint going. I'm, I'm curious to see like how many game libraries probably have this tucked away on a shelf. Yeah. Um, to for people to actually try, like you said, it's it's hard to get, but that's a reason to run into thrift stores that carry board games. Boy, uh, that would be a find of a lifetime. It? Yeah, um, we good for me to go on yeah, to number three. So, Doug, I'm going to set this one up a little bit. But if I told you Rob Davio designed a game that plays two to six players, mm-hmm. is done in under a half hour, mm-hmm. has a complexity of one point four three out of five, and can mm-hmm. be enjoyed by the entire family. Many people, including myself, would pay to get the latest. You would think that's a restoration games title or an awesome Can I guess co-op the title. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Twilight Seen It Edition. No, it is not. <laughs> this is Ship Shape, uh, 2019. Oh, keep it on uh, the pirates. Rob huh? Davio, yeah, and Calliope Games. It's currently ranked four thousand two hundred seventy-three. So tell me that one didn't slip through the cracks. Yeah. Um, and in this game, you're a sea captain bidding with cards in your hand to claim these little crate tiles, all right, that have different objects on them. And I'm going to trust Doug to interrupt me if I say anything that's inaccurate, but I do love this game, and I've been wanting to play it for about the last year. I haven't gotten it back to the table. But here's what I love about the game. When you win the tile from the bid, you then place it into your hold, and only what's showing on your hold are you going to get credit for at the end of that round. So the experience that I've had, sometimes I've won a tile and it's like, ha I won that tile. But then, oh my goodness, I just ended up covering up some gold in my hold. What did I win that tile for? And yeah. so uh, that, there's that 
um, first time you play it, I don't want to say disadvantage, but experience that then leads to additional plays in the future that are so much fun. This has a replayability um, that that that, that is game very, the very high for us. We have not done ship shape yet. Yeah, it's interesting because the the stack of of tiles that you're bidding for, you can kind of look. You you can only see the top one. So if you're playing a four player game. The top four tiles are going to be taken, but they have cutouts and open spaces in them. So you can look down, but you may not see what you're actually getting. Uh, the only thing that you know is the top one. So it's like, ah, I, I got last place, so I'm getting the fourth tile. Hope it works out. Yeah. You know, Or maybe you look down and you're like, ooh, the second one's got some gunpowder on it, and I need that. And so you're you're then trying to bid... Like, how can I bid to get second? <laughs> you know, right. that type of thing. So very interesting game with a, with a lot of cool choices. All right. My number three um, is from 2011 from Eagle Griffin Games, and the designer is Michael Reinick, and that is Santiago de Cuba. Um, in this game, uh, you're, you're all sharing a, a car that's going to different spots along the game board. When you land at that spot, there's a, a usually a basic action. You're kind of the main goal is you're collecting goods and then selling those goods to the ship that's docked at the port. Every time you go around the track, the goods in the port become more valuable. But it's possible to go around too many times that the ship can leave without anybody um, fulfilling any of the orders on the ship. So it becomes this kind of little tug of war of, uh, I could sell the oranges I have right now and get two victory points for each of them. But if I wait, maybe the next round when it goes to port, they're going to be worth three each. Yeah. But then Michael goes after me and he sells them first before I can. So now I'm sitting with oranges. I so love that economic decision. So there's, so there's that little thing going on. And then each building that you stop at, you know, it's like you might land at Pedro's and Pedro's gives you two oranges when you stop there. But Pedro's got a, a yellow flower on his card and that opens up like three more buildings and you can activate one of those buildings whenever you land on a yellow flower space. So, and you can you can own some of those buildings. Everybody time somebody uses it, but it just got this. It fits in that 2011, like when we talked about Stone Age of just being like a great game yeah. that that works for what it was. And I think Santiago de Cuba is one of those games that it it just works how it is. It doesn't need more. That you don't need to add more layers onto it, and it's just a well functioning game. I don't even know what it's ranked at at this point, um, as far as some of its stats. But one thousand two hundred forty three overall, um, and three forty three in the family game, which is still like for the amount of games that get talked about. That's a game that's in the top you know, 1,200 games or the top 300 family games. Have you ever heard anybody talk about this game, Michael? No, no, <laughs> that would definitely be fall through the cracks. And what year-ish did you 2011 say? 2011 yeah. it came out. Yeah. yeah, and I haven't played that yet. So that's that's one that I do want to get to the table and play. So that's my number uh, three, Santiago de Cuba. That's awesome, Doug. Well, my number two was a game of the week back in episode 59. I know I'm talking about a lot of games of the week, but again, I'm not sure we're going to cover these games again 
And I think this one is really worth highlighting. It is the same design team as Heat, Pedal to the Metal. And this game is mm-hmm. Deep Blue from I, 2019. I thought this might be on your list. Yeah, yeah, yeah because, you know, Asker Harding, uh, Grant Rood, and Daniel Skold-Peterson, uh, another Days of Wonder title. Here's why I'm putting it on the list, right? Heat Pedal to the Metal. Doug, we are halfway through 2023. Heat Pedal to the Metal has... Will probably win several games of the year. Yeah. Has been on the hotness for most of the year. It's been in the top 10. And whenever people talk about this design team, they often talk about Flamme Rouge or one of their other, you know, here's a bike racing game. And I'm then screaming at what I'm listening to. What about Deep Blue? Yeah. Um, in Deep Blue, you are. Uh, exploring the seas, and you are going on dives, and there's a press your luck element. You're also playing; uh, it's a you're improving your crew by buying cards on your turn too, if you're fortunate enough to. But the press your luck element here's what's cool: when you go on a dive, you're pulling these chips out of a bag, and um, the black chips. What do they represent again? Do you remember? Oh, a um, lack of oxygen or something. One but, of them is oxygen, and, and one is like sea monsters. Sea mon- or something. Yeah, yeah. And when you get the second one, you bust and you explode, right? But yeah. here's a cool thing: if you are on a neighboring island, you can also jump in and participate on that dive. So there's a level of interaction in Deep Blue that isn't in a whole lot of games in my collection um, that allows me to explore, compete. Uh, have have different types of risks. The art is awesome. It has that cartoony C uh, type art. Uh, the production quality is outstanding, uh, and and it's just a game that. I, but again, I think I have loved it more than others, and I think it has fallen through the cracks. It's currently ranked two thousand six hundred ninety nine overall and eight hundred eighteen in family, and I just don't hear folks talking about it. Yeah, yeah, great choice. Um, I'm interested to see what you think of my my number two, because um, I think it's one of the first games that you may have played over here. Um, but my number two was is by a famous designer, Ma- Martin Wallace, published by Space Cowboys, and came out in 2016. Oh, and I, I think it's game. I love this game. It's kind of so off brand for Martin Wallace that is and maybe, for Doug Kotecki. and maybe why it has fallen through the cracks. But it is hit Z Road. And it is a, a zombie game, and it, it hits on so many levels for me. One of them is the graphic and art design, production design of the game. So the, the theme of the game is that you are uh, a, a person has created this game on the road trip from Chicago on Route 66 heading west during a zombie apocalypse. And so the components for the game are all kind of found elements so the 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 back of some of the cards have like playing card designs or other days of wonder games it's like a ticket to ride card that was repurposed yeah. for something else as this fictional character has made this game and it has this um area where you are bidding to acquire cards and those cards are coming with bonuses and danger and you're you're trying to manage your your gas to get across the country, your your bullets to destroy zombies, and and your your people, you know. So trying to balance those, and you're rolling dice. There's luck. There's push your luck elements to this game, and there's a very good chance you're not even going to make it to the end. Mm. 
and it's fun. And every time there's there's every time I've played this game, a story and a role playing scenario crops up around the game. It's like even though you have little wooden meeples that are your characters, all of a sudden you've got one that can't shoot very well and one that's clinging yeah. on to life. There's one that's like, I should not have flipped that over over. And all of those things of I should not have spent adrenaline there. I need to re-roll again. And those it's one of those things where on everybody else's turn, you're rooting for other players, even though yeah. that that may help them win. Like everybody's excited every time dice are being rolled. And it's just joy. It's just a fun game. And the I, I, some of the art, it's been a while since I've looked There's at it. There's some so, questionable artwork. So that, that's like, why it hasn't walked into my house yet. Yeah. The, but once the, Eliza the hits plus, about 12. The 12 plus is probably pretty accurate as I far as. I will pick that up in the secondary market. And I'm yeah. waiting a little bit. I If you have a friend that's just coming over to game night, or if you want to get somebody into that new gamer enthusiasm mode, just Teach him hit zero. I, I, you're spot on. I think that was my first game night here. Um, that was the like the second of th- a series of three games, and I, I was hooked. I was yeah. coming back the next week. I had so <laughs> much fun playing it. The mechanics are just different, and, yeah. and it works with the theme. Yeah, yeah. Just a great game. So that's my number two, Hit Z-Road. Oh, I'm glad that Mr. Wallace made an appearance on our list. I, I am a big fan of... of some of his games, and that is certainly one of them. Um, my number one might come as a little bit of a surprise because it's a game that just came out two years ago, but I do feel like this game has already started to fade, and there is a beauty to it that I want people to experience and play, and that is Gutenberg. Mm. Gutenberg is a 2021 release. Uh, it's a board game for one to four people in which players will play as pioneers of the printing in the 15th century. That's right from Board Game Geek, folks. But I want to thank Andrew and Anitra over at the Family Gamers because they talked about this game for about three months straight to the point where it's like, okay, I have to play it. And this was a game that I played solo on Christmas, this past Christmas, and then just played it and played it and played it. Doug, the little wooden pieces in the box are just absolutely beautiful. But then the the gameplay is so simple because you're, you're trying to um, fulfill orders and get them out the door, and it has that little bit of of uh, the value that you had talked about in a few games ago with, with the Santiago de Cuba of just when is the right time. The timing element of that game is just outstanding. And it had a lot of buzz when it came out. You and I were at a trade show. We saw it. It was featured it was on big signs and all that i i get that but i do feel like this is a game that is already starting to be i'd want to say forgotten about but certainly starting to fade and it's one that selfishly i'm talking about it here because now i know over the next month or two i want to bring it over to game night i want to potentially take it on the road and, and get other family members to play it it is a very straightforward teach uh, the parts of the board are laid out, I think, in a, a way that this does not feel like a 2.7 as it is on Board Game Geek. Um, it does play up to about an hour, but it, it is just there's a game there that when when I get done playing it, whether it's at one or 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 two or three, um, it's just like, yeah, I'm really glad I got to play that today. Hmm. And so that's that's my uh, number one. And all right. 
I, I'm looking forward to trying that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number one is um, by a designer who, when this game came out, let me look up. I want to see. This guy was all the rage when this game came out. And this came out. Okay, so that one came out. In, oh, that's how many hearts. Sorry, I'm doing <laughs> that's stuff. That's all right. Stuff on the fly here. 2018, that one came out. Um, yeah, okay. So this game came out in the same year and around the same time when this designer designed That's So Clever, Quacks of Quedlinburg. Uh, what's the other one that has, he's done? Taverns uh, of Teventhal was a, a year after Quacks. Y- yeah, and then is it is it the, the Mind did he do? Yes. Yes, The Mind. Okay, uh, and The Mind also came out in 2018. So you have The Mind... That's so clever. Uh, Quacks of Quedlinburg, all in the same year, coming out. Wolfgang Warsh was the hottest designer around. And out came a game called Fuji that nobody ever talks about. And I don't know Tuck's why. upset, folks. <laughs> so Fuji is a cooperative game. And, you know, Michael... is. You know, I, Michael's not the hugest fan of cooperative games. But I and, love me some Wolfgang Wars. And doesn't, you know, and anytime that there's, you know, the possibility of alpha gaming or not being able to control what you do, which is understandable. That's a, a lot of people don't like that about cooperative games. Fuji, you are rolling your dice behind a screen and trying to figure out how you can help people, mm. the rest of your team, get away from the lava that's coming out of this volcano that you're trying to get to the end of the path. And you're saying, ah, I think I may be able to go in this direction. I may be able to go to do this. I'm going to have to re-roll this. And you go and hope it works out. So you have your own personal agency over yeah. your dice, but you're trying to like, ah. And that's what I great cooperative games yeah, do, I right? Can't, I can't go this way. I can go this way. So basically every turn, you have to pick out which tile you want to move to. But in order to move to that tile, you need to accomplish and, and get a certain result. And you may have ways to manipulate those dice, but like they're based on where I what I've rolled, there is no way I'm gonna be able to get over here. And you're and I, I'm pretty sure you cannot share a tile. So it becomes that type of thing. And it's every time I played it, I've had fun. I, I I'm playing my own game with everybody else. Yeah. And I don't like you, there's nothing you can do about my dice. These are my dice, and I can put them how I want to put them. Um, we can work together on where people need to be. Um, and I just, like, when you're coming out with three bangers like that, and you've got a fourth one on the side, it's like, yeah, yeah. I guess one's got to get lost in the shuffle. But So what happened in 2016 or 17 with 2018. Wolfgang Warsh? I know that led to 2018. And what happened with Antoine Bowser in 2009 or 2010 that led to 2011? You know, what happens with these designers when they just put out, like, boom, four yeah. or five titles in a year? So some something's going to so, get lost yep. in the shuffle. And unfortunately, Fuji did. It was uh, published by Fr- 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 Freuland Spiel. Freulein? Freuland? Um uh, Spiel. Yeah, not Freuland. Okay, yep, you got it. And uh, so that's my number one, Fuji. And I just, I, it, it came out in the US, uh, I think Capstone released it. And it was one that I, I don't even know how I got turned on to it because certainly people didn't talk about it. Yeah. Even back then, I don't know if I had met the, the, the 
a publisher at a trade show and he said, sure. oh, you should check this out. And it was one that I was like, oh, yeah, I'll give that one a try. Um, but that's my number one, Fuji. Do you have any honorable mentions? I do. I have three. How about you? I've got one, and the only I'll, I'll go with it right now because the only reason it didn't make my list is because they actually announced that they're republishing it, and that's Ex Libris. Oh, cool. Which yeah, I think yeah, is yeah. a Andrew an, P. McIver. Yeah, it's yep. an awesome game by Renegade Game that, Studios. That's a fun one. That I, I've always enjoyed every time I've played it, and I think it was one that was well liked, but some. I think that like reviewers had issues with it, but I I never really encountered yeah, I those. I mean, you're you're a librarian doing set collection and, yeah, and, and the categorizing, the, right? Yeah. But, oh, that's a fun one. I, I know we didn't make it sound fun. Yeah, that's great. No, you're trying to collect different. Uh, there's there's some banned books and then books that you want to really collect, uh, but you don't want to tip your hand. So you're trying to build your your whole collection that's of books. That's a fun one. In order, is Renegade republishing it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So. Um, so that's, that was the only one. And I, I didn't feel like putting it on because it obviously yeah. has some buzz that they're reprinting it, but I still feel like it's fallen through the cracks. I have one Victorian masterminds, uh, 2019 Antoine Bauza, Eric M. Lang, uh, design combo publisher Simon. It's on honorable mention because I haven't actually played it yet, but I am going just based on your recommendation <laughs> and how um, you have got me hyped up to play this game. So um, that that's one that I'm looking forward to playing here. And then Savannah Park was another one that we had as a game mm. of the week that not only did it fall through the cracks, but then they, they re-themed it as Caldera Park, uh, yeah, which with, appears with, to be... But it's a different game. It's a different style. Yeah. Because I have looked at the yeah, thing. So, it's, like a, it's in the same universe. It's almost like what they did with Azul, but, where it's like it's a similar... Different rule set, right? Yeah, but a completely yeah, yeah, yeah. different rule set, but it's in the same type of scoring mechanism yeah. it's just how you get to the scoring mechanism is different and so i and then i have two other phil walker harding games but i think we've given him enough love for today um but with savannah park i'm just pulling we talked about that back in episode 56 and uh, capstone family games publishes that it's also michael keesling um design right is yeah. it keesling and kramer or just keesling i think it's just the one okay well doug's gonna get the actual designer of that while i just bloviate in our honorable <laughs> mention here but uh just a fantastic game my kids really love it and the the scoring and figuring out how the scoring can change Both together yep so the designers are uh michael keesling and wolfgang kramer yeah and i that was very highly regarded by some big time reviewers yeah and it just disappeared. Um, well, it's just so. interesting when you have, you know, even with like Victorian masterminds, you're talking about two well-known beloved designers and Savannah Parks. And it's just, it seems like there's designers that do, you know, and like you said, the Phil Walker Hardings, like designers that do great games. And it's almost like some of their games are so big that they overshadow the other ones. Yeah. Where it's like, if Savannah Park was their only design and it came out, where would it be? It's almost like they're comparing it against other Kramer and Kiesling games as opposed to its own game. Yeah. And where it would well, fit in the in the universe of board games. Then I will cap this final episode. It Explorers is the the last honorable mention from Phil Walker Harding. That yeah. was a, a Robinsberger release that I, to our solo gamers out there, 
I can get a full game in in 10 minutes. It's my lunchtime game. I absolutely just have a lot of fun, but it does seem to play best at one. My family uh, tends to get a little upset <laughs> with me. We're more of a scribbly gum family than explorers, but another one of those flip and write games where the combos are unlocking other combos, and boy, doesn't that feel good uh, for your brain. So, All right. Well, there are uh, 10 or so games that have fallen through the cracks um, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at GameSchoolerU. Uh, next week we're going to be talking about Fire Tower and how convenient we'll be giving a copy away if you sign up for the Discord. Uh, one lucky winner will receive a copy of Fire Tower. Now get out there and keep gaming. And thank you so much for spending the last hour or so with us. We truly appreciate it. Yeah.